five o'clock this evening. I'm just going to give an introduction about what's coming up on the show. First up, we're going to be speaking with Sue Lin. Um, Sue Lin Quick, uh, it's spelt Q-U-E-C, excuse my pronunciation. She, she is the Executive Manager of Research Advocacy and Service Development. Listeners may recall that a couple of weeks ago we interviewed Chief, Chief Executive Carmel from this organisation about the demonisation of African Sudanese youth. Today we will be expanding on that discussion and we'll be speaking further with Sue Lin, who's extremely knowledgeable, about the recent research report, Don't Drag Me Into This, and it's, it's entitled Growing Up South Sudanese in Victoria after the 2016 Moomba riot. We will discuss with her some of the key findings and recommendations. While we're waiting to line up Sulin, um, I'll just put in um, an announcement. Are you 18 years and over? Have you been stopped by a Victorian police officer or protective service officer in the last 10 years? Would you like to contribute to research that aims to inform law reform and litigation strategies to prevent over-policing? Go to policestopsurvey.online for more information and to take part. That's policestopsurvey.online, a 3CR supporter. And you're back with the Doing Time show, and we have Sulin on the line now. Welcome, Sulin. Thank you, and thank you for having me. It's lovely to have you. And I'm wondering, Sulin, if you could just introduce yourself um, briefly and, and just um, talk about some of the work that, that you're doing right now. Um, yep, um, I'm the executive manager for um, our research policy and um, advocacy area. I'll, also, um, one of the things that I'm responsible for is um, designing and looking at new ways of how we can work with communities to make change happen, basically. So a number of programs also sit in my area. Um, one of the things that I think have got um, a number of communities, not just the African communities, but a number of communities in the context of our multicultural Victoria and multicultural Australia, is um, communities who are newly arrived particularly are wanting to um, find ways very quickly to connect with other communities and with the broader communities in general because that's a way of getting to know their neighbourhood, that's a way of getting to feel confident and, and comfortable in moving around in this new space that they're in and young people often say to us how do I make friends with um, Korean young people, how do I make friends with other young people who are not from a community how do I make friends with let's say a third generation Irish Australian um, who's lived here, you know and family's been here in Australia for a long time. So I think, especially with those communities who have just come into Australia, there is, I'm always surprised, but I shouldn't be by now, there is um, an immediate sense of wanting to connect with a broader community. And for some communities, if we look at the South Sydney communities, for instance, that that desire to connect across the board is, is absolutely there, but for a number of reasons... Um, so a lot of it outside your control, um, they're not able to make that connection as Absolutely. deeply or as quickly as as they would like. And it's always extremely difficult for, for all um, migrants, isn't it? And migrants in Australia, basically there are lots of challenges involved, isn't there, in the early years of settlement and they're well documented in this report. Absolutely. There are a number of key challenges for communities right across the board. And I think for young people, there are very specific challenges if you're a young person and you've arrived in Australia as, as, a, as a young or youngish person. Um, I think it really does depend on what age you come in. I think for the, the little ones, the really young ones who, you know, two, three, four years old, who are starting to engage with the broader world, they're not just staying at home, they're starting to go to you yeah. know, um, play groups, kinder, etc. Um, I think the younger you are, the, sometimes it's easier to make friends and to connect across the board. I Absolutely. think the older you get, um, especially if you're a young person who is of high school age and you're slotting straight into high school, I think it's harder to, to make those connections, for instance. 
Absolutely. Um, you know, as, as we often see in our friendship groups, by the time you get to high school, a lot of friendship groups are already made, um, and it's sometimes harder to break into oh, existing friendship groups. And I think with young people generally across the board, there are a number of issues around growing up and, and, and you know, the, the whole context of being an adolescent, which is basically the job of an adolescent is to push the boundaries a little bit and to find your own self and your own place in the world and your own identity, that 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 kind of um, yeah. fighting sense of self raises a number of challenges for all adolescents across the board. Absolutely. And it's really great that you've, you've mentioned that, um, Sue Lynn, that's really important. Now, moving on to the report, and thank you so much for that introduction, but moving on to the report, could you just talk about that? I know we don't we, we could write a book about it, couldn't we? We'd be here all night, really, because yes, there are could. so many. I thought that the best way we could handle it is is talk about the some of the, the research and look at some of the key findings and just maybe pick some examples and some recommendations. Um, yeah, I think maybe for might be useful to take a little step back as well. I suppose the reason why we wanted to do this research yes. in, in partnership with Monash University was um, we were hearing a number of things in terms of our work with young people um, post the Mumba riots. Uh, absolutely, there was a lot of um, media reporting um, on what happened at, at Mumba, but also post Mumba. And a lot of young people started to say to us, hey, look, you know, that, that doesn't speak to all our experience. And actually, a number of things have been inflated or I'm still, as an individual, I'm still bearing the brunt of um, how people portray us. So we thought, all right, let's dig around a little bit more and find out to what extent and also to find out is this, is this just 10 young people saying it or is this right across a, a bigger group of young people? So Monash University was also interested in how... Um, particular communities are constructed by um, the broader community and the media and how um, police have interacted with some communities, especially the African community. So we got together and said, all right, let's let's do a bit of um, a bit of a research. And so that's how this um, piece of work was born. Um, and yeah, there are a number of issues that's been raised. Um, and you're right, we could talk about this all night. Yeah. But um, I think one of the key things to remember, and this report reminds us again, that sometimes when you focus in a particular community, there are issues. And I'm not saying that the community is denying that there, there are no issues. I think the community is saying, look, our young people are also struggling. We, we know there are issues, but in the main, they, you know, we are all trying to support our young people to grow up to be, you know, self-actualized young adults that can grab hold of any opportunities the community can offer. I think what sometimes tends to happen is that issues are not within just one community. The issues in a broader community as well, because, for example, the number of young people who've taken part in this project have said to us, you know, we are, we've gone to school, we've, gone, we've done tertiary education, um, our friends have done tertiary education as well, and we just can't find a job, you know. He, he said, one of them said, you know, I've got a mix of friends. I've got a number of African friends, yeah. but also got Anglo friends. And we did the same course, but we we can't find our jobs. But Anglo friends have found our jobs. Now, it raises a question of, and we can't, we can't, um, there's no hard and fast evidence for it. But, you know, are, are people looking at some of this um, African young people and, and not even giving them a chance to have an interview? Or are they just looking at, a CV and just going, no, nope, I'm not even touching that. And so, I think that really brings up brings up issues, doesn't it, about direct and indirect discrimination. And as you've been talking, Sulin, and you've given some really excellent examples here, but, you know, I'm just having a look at the report and I'm actually looking at the fact that is it is it correct to say that the report um, has explored um, young South Sudanese Australians' perceptions of how they have been impacted by ongoing media coverage of so-called apex and African gangs since the 2016 Moomba riot. Yeah, I think that still lingers on. Um, you know, in our in our we do a lot of work with Victoria Police as well, um, and Victoria Police are saying, you know, the apex gang in that sense we. 
we hardly ever see it anymore in the sense it's not a it's not an organized gang as such. So there was a lot of um, capitalization on 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 that um, brand in that sense of Apex. You know, some young people were loosely sort of connecting themselves to it, but you know, this is 2018. A lot of young people are saying, yeah, it didn't quite portray us, but we're still bearing bearing the brunt of it because it's how people perceive us. A lot of the times the work we do and the work I do, I go out and try and debunk the myths and give people um, the evidence. So, you know, I can rattle off stats around youth crime, but people will say to me, um, our communities are still scared. We are still frightened. We don't believe what you're saying because we see young people walking down the streets and I'm going, all right, okay. How do I have a conversation with the broader community? How do we as an organization have a conversation with the broader community that that can engage them at that anxiety level? Um, because I think once you hit that level of anxiety, no matter how much facts and figures you throw at people, sometimes it's that emotional response to what they see around them or what they perceive around them. So Absolutely. And I think that's, yeah. that's a challenge for us all. It really is a challenge and it sounds like you're doing some great work. And I think my concern as a, as a specifically as a radio broadcaster, and perhaps you can, you can comment on this too, is about the fact that the way that young people have been portrayed has had had negative consequences if you like and you were you were using the word myth before which is pretty important would it be fair to say you know that as it says in the report that there needs to be recommend you know, some of the recommendations focus on training of young people to deal with the media absolutely and i think that's one of the um things that came back time and time again in the research and young people were saying I think the complete lack of powerlessness in the face of the media and in that sense, you know, print, online, um, radio, television, all forms of media, I think young people are saying, we don't know what to do. How, how, do, you, how, do, you, how do you respond back to media stories? Uh, I think we need to help work with them to help unpack what is the media and how to engage well with the media. Because even when the report came out and there were young people who took part in the research, were saying, no, I don't want to talk to the media. We said, oh, no, the media is going to want stories from young people themselves. And a number of, you know, I could count on my hand, there were about three or four young people that we contacted who were part of the research who said, no, actually, no, I don't want to do interviews with the media because I think I could see they were anxious and they were scared. So I think part of our work as CMY and, and as well as other organisations, how do we help young people engage well with the media so that they have a voice as well as um, have more sense of control over their lives if they know how to... Um, and it's not an easy thing. I think not just young people, I think generally adults as well. How do you engage well with the media so that you can control your own story and, and gain back that power? Exactly, Suleen. That's, yeah. that's very true. And of particular importance as well, and perhaps you could comment on this as well, is that the research appeared to indicate that the celebration of ethnic and racial diversity in Melbourne is not experienced equally by all members of the community and that there's stigma and racism yeah. since, think, you know, yeah. in Victoria since that, the Moomba. Well, before um, that actually, but much more. I, I think, <laughs> yeah. I think it's 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 um you know I think Australia still has um, a way to go in terms of how we talk about racism, how we manage it at a broader level, but also on a local neighbourhood level and and in, within families and between families. I think incidents like Moomba kind of heightens people's um, anxiety around that, and and that's also more victimisation. I think in terms of um, racism. Um, but I think it's always kind of the undercurrent to, to some extent or other in terms of that stereotyping and, and the prejudicial attitudes of, of othering um, communities. Having said that, though, I think every time I travel into state, which I do quite often for work, I am so pleased to come back to Victoria. Yeah. I think Victoria is one of the states for me anyway, 
and um, where it has um, politically as well as generally strong bipartisan support of um, multiculturalism. Um, it really does. It really does. Yeah, it really it's true. does. And I think some communities probably there's places in Melbourne and Victoria where we can do a lot more work than we have done in the past um, to build understanding and connections between people and local neighbourhoods. I think yeah. some neighbourhoods do it better than others, and I think there's a role for local government in this one to take up that challenge, to especially in those growth corridor areas where families are moving out in growth corridor areas at a speed of knots. So I think there is a lot more work that we can do to build a sense of local community and a sense of connection with each other and not to fear each other. That's exactly right. And I think to also, as it says in the report, to actually have um, more ethical more ethical crime um, reporting rather than, you know, scaring the shit out of people, excuse the expression, you know, and saying, well, you know, don't go to restaurants. and Like, you know, in the 1950s it was the Italians and then it was the Asians and now yeah. it's the Sudanese. So it, there's, it's, it's kind of interesting, isn't it? It is interesting, and I don't want people to think that, all oh, right, you know, the, the Asians and the Italians, for instance, or the Greeks and the Afghanis have all gone through that, you know, for instance, have all gone through that, so therefore it's not the African turn. Oh, no. I don't think that should no, be the no, logic no, no. at all. Um, no. And, and, you know, I, and I know that's not what you're saying, but I, that's no, what isn't. I hear. Sometimes, generally outside people. Generally go, outside you know, with others, yeah. We, well, I, I suppose that, I was injecting before. injecting a little bit of sarcasm there, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I suppose I was having a, a, a slight dig at the, at the government and not in a mean or disrespectful manner, Sulin. Mm. But basically, yes, you know, I was having a look and the election's over now so we can speak freely. Um, yes. Um, but, you know, Daniel Andrews was, was saying, look, you know, Labor was saying we're going to smash the gangs. I mean, that's not the way to talk about these young people. And I just want to ask you a question in regards to this particular. There's another recommendation, and I'm not sure how you, you, you view this, but and it says policymakers, police, academics, and journalists should work to ensure that young people from culturally and linguistically diverse communities have meaningful opportunities to contribute to debates, discussions, decision-making processes and consultations that will affect them. What do you think of that statement? I think that rings so true in terms of what young people are telling us, but also as, as, a, as a kind of um, policy research um, manager in this organisation, I see it time and again where Sometimes when people or government sometimes will go, oh, let's consult with communities, um, sometimes it can be quite a superficial level of consultation. I think consultation also needs to go hand in hand with the communities having a strong input into decision-making processes. I think young people more than ever are saying to, to us, but sick of consultations because a lot of young people have been consulted to death in lots of ways on a number of issues and policy issues, including policy issues, but don't see the change happen. Um, That's right. I think this is where we're saying to people, great, let's keep up the consultation, but let's make it meaningful and let's really ensure that if we want to talk to young people and get their ideas and input, um, make it happen, make it meaningful. Don't just consult them and say thanks and nothing happens. Thank you very much, Sulin. It was lovely to have you on the program and I'm actually really impressed with the report as a whole. I'm very impressed with the way that the recommendations have expanded, um, you know, further than than what they have now. And um, and I, w I want you to, to, to really um, keep up the good work and I'm sure you will. Thank, Thank you, you very, very much, much indeed. Thank you for this opportunity and, um, yes, pleasure indeed. Thanks a lot. Okay. Thank you. Take bye care. Bye-bye. And that was Sue Lin from the <clears throat> Centre for Multicultural Youth speaking about um, a report called Don't Drag Me Into This and having a look at some of the key findings and recommendations. And, yeah, I just better late than never. I'm just going to continue. Um, we've got a bit of a tight schedule today, but I wanted to continue with the introduction to our show. Coming up next, we've got Abe. Um, who's a wonderful activist, and he's going to be talking about um, the William uh, remembering William Cooper. We interviewed Yoel last week, and we're going to be expanding 
on this wonderful event and able speak to us further about um, William Cooper, who's a Yota Yota elder, and he's going to be um, looking at at um, expanding on that discussion um, as to, to the march and looking further at the march against the Nazi regime, which is which is how William Uncle William is, Cooper is is remembered. And then after that, we're going to be speaking with Brett Collins um, about the possible blocking of a bill that's going to be affecting restorative justice um, between mental health um, uh, victims and perpetrators. So we'll be we'll be um, looking at that soon. But in the meantime, I'm actually going to be putting on an announcement about Beyond the Bars leading up to Abe's interview. you got to remember, Nanox a special day for us, brothers. That's a reminder who we are. Every year for NAIDOC Week, 3CR Community Radio gives voice to our Indigenous brothers and sisters through Beyond the Bars, Australia's only live prison broadcast. I am a black, black man. NAIDOC means a lot to me. It's about identity and also about past and present. NAIDOC means a lot to me for my family and my people. And the people forgetting about our rights. You can access audio from current and past Beyond the Bars broadcasts via the 3CR website. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash beyond the bars and either listen to or download audio from Australia's only live prison broadcasts. Happy Nadoff! And you're back with the Doing Time show. And we, I would like to welcome Abe to the program. Welcome, Abe. Thank you, Marissa. Lovely to be here. And I'd like to acknowledge the uh, elders of all the lands that 3CR broadcast to. I'm sure it's not just Wurundjeri or Bunurong, all over their elders, past and present and future. Thank you for having me on your show. It's wonderful to have you. Now, Abe, we've had quite a few discussions off air, haven't we? <laughs> we sure about... have. It's an exciting time, a lot going on. Absolutely. And... Can you tell tell us about what's going to be happening with um, Remembering William Cooper event and discuss a little bit of the background? Over to you. No, more, more than happy to, Marissa. Look, it's really cool that 3CR listeners are getting to hear about this. It's 80 years exactly at the moment. This month and coming up next Thursday, next week, 80 years to the day, since Indigenous activist Uncle William Cooper back in the 1930s, spent so much energy and time as an older man in his 70s fighting for the rights of all sorts of people, particularly his own mob. No human rights, civil rights or land rights for Aboriginal people. But when he heard about another mob getting attacked and losing their rights as well and losing their lives, he took time out from fighting for the rights of his own mob to stand up for my mob. So, Marissa, I've got a Jewish background, and my mob, the Jewish people, were being attacked over in Europe in the lead-up to the Second World War. Hitler had come to power in 1933, and the Second World War itself didn't really start till September 1939. But on the 9th of November, 1938, which is exactly eight-year anniversary coming up next Thursday, there was a horrible terrible tragedy in parts of Europe. All of Jews in Germany and Austria, Hitler hadn't gotten to Poland or other places yet, but all the Jews of Germany and Austria were rounded up on the night of the 9th of November and the weeks that followed, and every synagogue, every Jewish business that they could identify, every Jewish home, the schools, were all attacked on one night, the night overnight between the 9th and 10th of November. And it was reported all over the world. Many people regard it historically now as the beginning of the Holocaust, really before the Second World War. And many, many people thought that surely some good people would stand up against this atrocity. And a fellow called Uncle William Cooper was reading the Argus newspaper in Melbourne. He'd moved from the Yorta Yorta community of Malaga and Kamagunja, where he'd lived in his younger days. He was living in Footscray in Melbourne. And two, three weeks went by, Marissa. Nobody had did anything. He read the paper every day, waiting for an outcry. And when he realised that nobody was going to do something to stop this Hitler bloke, he thought there could be a genocide. And he thought if somebody doesn't do something, he better. 
So we got together this indigenous mob, the Committee of the Australian Aborigines League. It still exists today. They still call it AAL, but today the words stand for Aboriginal Advancement League. They got together, Marissa, and they passed a motion to protest to Hitler about on behalf of the Aboriginals of Australia, and they marched from his house in Footscray to the German consulate, which in those days was in Collins Street, Melbourne. And they marched to Collins Street, Melbourne, and he was in his late 70s, and he had an appointment, but of course, when the ambassador or the consul realised it was a protest and realised it was Aboriginals, he didn't want to give a time of day to the blackfellas, so they slammed the door in the face, and unfortunately, the protest never actually got delivered. And many, many people forgot about that bit of history until about 60, 70 years ago, it started coming up with a few people doing research. And the Jewish mob now, 80 years on, wants to stand together with our Aboriginal brothers and sisters in solidarity on the 80th anniversary and say, we're going to fight for your mob to have human rights and civil rights and a voice in Parliament just like you stood up for us. And that's happening next Thursday night, 6.30pm at Flagstaff Gardens, right down above Flagstaff train station in the city. We're meeting at 6.30. It will take about two hours. We're going to march through the city past the old German consulate and up to a place called Peppercorn Park, which is sort of opposite the art centre there on St Kilda Road by the banks of the river, where Uncle William Marissa used to stand on a soapbox at the river and talk to people who would listen to him. But now's come the time for us to just show a bit of solidarity. And, and we are so thankful for the Aboriginal mob that stood up for us. We invite the whole community, not just not just Jews, not just Christians, not just everybody, all three CR listeners. If you can't come next Thursday night, tell somebody you can. And be at Flagstaff Garden, it's free, no charge. We will be selling T-shirts, but no charge to March. And Marissa, I really hope 3CR can get behind this. It's really cool. Absolutely. And, and, and we someone will be there. Don't worry about that. Um, we have to maybe even you can come down when one of your one of your shows can come down with a with a recording device and interview us as we're walking or maybe yeah. make a little podcast up for now or maybe even cross live ask whoever's got a show on at that time if they want to do a live cross to, to you down there it'd be really cool absolutely no that that would be awesome um Abe and and it's it's so I'm ha- so happy that that you came on and and talked about you know the the Nazi regime and what happened because. You know, that's so important to look at because often um, that all of that is ignored. Yeah, look, there's so much fascism, I'm sorry to say, around No, today. there is, in even currently. State, in a state election two days ago, Marissa, there were parties with fascist philosophies, particularly the ALA and many other groups, oh. absolutely trying to stop people, you know, minority groups and attacking Africans and all... And it's, it's rising its head again. If we don't all march to support... The, the, the Aboriginals that fought for us, and also to try to say that we never want racism again. There are many, many Jewish groups of different stripes marching from the left and from the right, but on this topic, they all come together. One of our groups, the Australian Jewish Democratic Society, I believe you might have had Yael from that group on your That's show right, yep. previously, um, they've actually put up their own banner for this particular march with the words, never again, no more racism, and they're going to actually march from Footscray, from Uncle William's house in Southampton Street, Footscray. They're going to start at five o'clock and retrace literally his footsteps, and then they're going to merge with the big group ah. at 6.30 at Flagstaff Garden. And then there's another group coming from the Stolen Gen, the Stolen Gen, uh, the, the memorial there in, uh, Fitz, in Fitzroy, the Atherton Gardens. They're leaving about 5.30. People can do that. They're going to go past a group coming from the east, East Melbourne at the Doug Nichols and Auntie Gladys Nichols statues next to Parliament House. So we're going to have a group from the, the west, the north, and the east, and we're still trying to get a little group to come from the south, maybe somewhere now, like St Kilda and we're going to merge from all directions on Flagstaff Gardens at 6.30. People are welcome to go on. Can I give the website address, Marissa? Absolutely. The info- yep, go for yeah, it. So the, the website's really easy to remember. It's called Walking Together. One word, Walking Together. So www.walkingtogether.org.au. Walkingtogether.org.au. And on that, you'll find all the details. And you'll find links to all the different feeder marches that are happening as well. But in short, 6.30 Flagstaff Gardens and finishing off sort of opposite the art centre about 8.30. 
Can I add one more thing? Have I got a tiny bit more yes, time? Yes, you I'll have. Yep. Go, go. Yeah. It's, it's also a Jewish festival that week. It happens to be next week a Jewish community festival called Hanukkah. I don't know whether listeners have heard the word Hanukkah, but Hanukkah always falls often in December, often around Christmas time. But this year it's early because it's on a lunar calendar. And we light candles every night of Hanukkah for eight nights in a row. And it just happens that the fifth night of Hanukkah is the night of our march, Thursday the 6th of December. Oh, wow. So we're going to have a smoking ceremony involving fire to start off parts of the ritual. And we're going to end it off with more fire in a Jewish ritual. We're going to blend the two cultures. And we're going to have... The fifth candle, Hanukkah, is going to be lit publicly. And we, especially non-Jewish people, Indigenous or otherwise, who have never seen a Hanukkah lighting, they're welcome to come along and learn about this bit of Jewish culture. And by the light of the smoking ceremony and the light of the Hanukkah candles, may we bring more light into the world and may we shine a light on the tyranny of the racism that's cropping up here and there, as I said, as recently as the ALA daring to nominate candidates and try to bring racism back into Victoria. Let's shine a light upon that and let's stand with our Aboriginal brothers and sisters and stand with 3CR and all the amazing work that your show, Marissa, and everyone at 3CR does. You let's better, shine you, a light together. You better come and do a show here yourself, mate. We'll have a talk about it. <laughs> Over the years, I have been on radio once or twice on Jewish community radio stations. I'm not currently doing a show. In fact, I had a bit of a falling out with one of my previous uh, Jewish community radio managements because I stood up for causes against uh, the ALA and that, and one person wasn't very impressed. So maybe I'll take you up your invitation. You just never know. Marissa, this time next year, I might be interviewing you on my show. Maybe, maybe. Abe, <laughs> <laughs> it's so yeah, great. I, it's so great yeah, to have you. Yeah, you go first. You go first. Yeah. yeah. Can you just um before we go? Can you just quickly re- so, so repeat again where this event is going to be? So you've you've mentioned Footscray, but where's the main event and where will be where will the smoking ceremony be? Yeah, yeah, we're starting at six thirty at Flagstaff Gardens. There will be a welcome there as well. There will be a welcome at Flagstaff Gardens, but the formal the the formal rituals will be happening in sort of the eight to eight thirty part at the end of the walk, and that will be it's called Peppercorn Park. People can come and join us if they really want to, just around eight o'clock. It's it's the beginning of the Alexandra Gardens where Mumba happens, you know, opposite yeah. the art centre there, uh-huh. but on the Fed Square side of of St Kilda Road. But the truth is, I'd like people not just to turn up for that. If they're able to, if they can't, that's fine. But if they've got the, the ability to walk with us or walk with us part of the way and take your tram a part of the way, it's only two kilometres and we're going to do it slowly. Um, I'd love So the ceremonies will be between 6.30 uh, for a few minutes after we start, before we start walking, and then again at 8 o'clock. We're beginning at Flagstaff Gardens. And there's a monument in the park above the station called the Separation Memorial. Lovely. So we're asking everyone to meet at the Separation Memorial, 6.30, Thursday week, December the 6th, about 10 days from now. Look, that's that's fantastic. And, and a shout-out to, you know, all the Jewish community and all communities. And a shout-out to Uncle William as well, um, and because obviously he did this at a time when Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people themselves were denied citizenship and other basic human rights, and he chose and to stand for them. that's what makes it so unbelievable that he took out time. I mean, he had a son that died fighting for a country 20 years earlier in World War One that fought for a country that didn't even recognise him as a citizen. Exactly. And... And yet he still, 20 years later, took out time to march for another mob. I mean, we're really honoured. I'm going to announce that Uncle Boydy, his 90-year-old grandson, is one of the patrons of this, and he plans to walk a lot. He's 90, but he wants to walk the walk too. He's going to come down from Yoda Yoda country, and he's going to lead us in the walk next Thursday week. Grandchildren and many family. There are family members of Uncle William coming in from Sydney, Michael and Barbara. Lots of people are coming in from all over the country. If you know someone who can get to Melbourne next Thursday night, they should be there. And if they're already in Melbourne, try to change your roster or your work schedule or what do you get on. It's two hours of your life and it's really, really important. It's exactly the date of the 80th anniversary of what William Cooper did standing up for another mob, Marissa. Good I on really you. hope 3CR listeners can put it in their diary. Thank you so much, Abe. It makes me want to go there right now. <laughs> okay. Well, yeah, well, I tell you what, instead of going there now, 
everybody who feels that urge, just jump on your Facebook, your Twitter, your Have social media. Exactly. And, and on that website, walkingtogether.org.au, you can link to our Facebook event pages and then you can like it and put it on yours. And Lovely. let's spread this through social media. Let's make it huge. Marissa, thank you so much for 3CR giving us the time to, to get this really important event announced. Thank, thank you, you so indeed. Much. Take care of yourself and we'll see you soon. Thanks. Thanks, Marissa. See you next Thursday. Hey? See you next Thursday. See ya. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Help FreeCR support the rights of Indigenous Australians. They mean to save our culture and save our dreams, our footprints, dreams, our songline, and keep our culture going strong. Of course, a lot of the Aboriginals, having been stolen, were put into state care, and also others. The recognition were... of what our people have been through in the last 200 years, the recognition of our culture in the last 40,000 years, and the recognition of where we are heading into the future. Welcome to uh, Survival Day, Invasion Day. 223 years ago, the white man landed on our shores. Subscribe to 3CR and help. Keep Indigenous voices on air. Call us on 94198377 or visit 3cr.org.au. Subscribe now. Hello, Brett. Welcome to the program and welcome yes, back to the Two and Time show, listeners. Yes, hello, Marissa. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dearie me. So it's nearly the end of the year now, Brett, and we thought, as I said to you on air, it's been nice to have you from Justice Action back on um, back on air just to honour the work that you've done for the whole year. You've, you've worked tirelessly there. Yeah, so it doesn't slow down. I mean, with, with 44,000 people inside the prisons and hospitals, you know, we, how could we possibly slow down? It's, it's uh, almost embarrassing if we don't can't flat out and uh, trying to express what the pain that uh, people are sitting, um, uh, suffering inside the inside the box area. Absolutely. So I was having a read with I was reading with interest last week, and I believe the media release was put out um, on the nineteenth, and it's was entitled "Mental Patients Blocked." Can you tell us about what's happening with this bill? Um, apparently, the government wants to pass a bill about the yeah. victim not engaging with the offender and preventing restorative justice. Is that right? Yes, look, it's, it's a really basic issue. Right? It's, it's where the government thinks that they can be seen to be uh, looking tough. And so it's a law and order issue uh, all over again. But in this situation, it's, pretty, it's uh, happening inside the mental health area. So where people are, you know, have, uh, have been found not guilty due to mental illness, where they've been you know, like disturbed, you know, they feel, feel that you know, someone's attacking them or have a misunderstanding of what's going on and so and just feel they have to defend themselves, so, uh, uh, then uh, they, found, they are found not guilty. And in that situation, uh, they're generally seen as being people who are disabled and people who are often tasked to have an extra hand. You know, they're not, not people who, you know, who intended to do any harm. So, so rather than being, um, you know, somebody who maliciously did something or did something because they were angry or whatever, they've done something because they misunderstood what was occurring. So, so you know, the the idea of a, of a serious penalty to those people is totally wrong. But uh, government here in New South Wales has has uh, uh, tried to cover their own mistakes by being seen to be tough against these, um, they call them forensic patients, and so brought in this legislation. It's, it's so wrong-handed. It's, uh, it's just a, an attempt to um, uh, to have vengeance against the against the disabled um, uh, person so and have a victim's impact statement, right, a secret right. one, um, being being actually presented to the court. You know, without um, the ability for the the uh, mentally ill offenders to see it, so they never hear what's being said against them. And um, and it's uh, you know it's potentially would be you know could be wrong, um, and if nothing else, it means well most importantly it, it prevents uh, the the offender or you know the mentally ill offender um, from hearing from the from the victim, hearing the, the pain of the victim, and having a chance of uh, of uh, a reconciliation, you know, accepting uh, that something wrong was done, and um, and uh, and having a chance to uh, to. Uh, to hear each other say something. Okay. Oh, now, Brett, are you you actually in a in a, a, a tight space there? Because it, it's your voice is coming across very a little bit foggy. Oh, okay. Look, that's better. Oh, okay. That's better. Okay, Thank fine. you, Brett. Yep, okay. Yeah. Right, so, okay. all right. So this is okay. this is interesting. That's much better. This is interesting how you're talking about this. So let's let's make it a bit more concrete here, and let's let's look at an example. So I've got a quote here from the media release, and it says that passing the bill would mean that the victim does not engage with the offender to express their pain, achieve an understanding of why the event occurred 
and reach a possible reconciliation. And there's no similar provision in the criminal law as secrecy negates the intention of the VIS, said mental health consumer advocate Douglas Holmes, who I'd like to speak to at some stage next year perhaps. Can you talk, Brett, about an example that might highlight this quote? What does oh, look, it actually absolutely. mean in practice? Well, look, look a, a common situation would be where, where a family member uh, has, uh, like maybe the son has attacked the father, and in this situation the, the father may have suffered wounds, could have even died, and other members of the family are immensely traumatised by what occurred. There may well have been uh, previous instances where the person has been psychotic and, and uh, it has uh, been out of control. Now, um, for that um, a person then to be confronted with, brought before the court um, uh, and then found not guilty due, due to mental illness is, is the standard way in which it's treated. But then to bring in a victim's impact statement uh, is, is happening for the first time here in New South Wales. And we found that actually in other states and territories that you know, in some situations they do have victim's impact statements for them, for them as well. But in New South Wales, what they've done, they actually um, thought they were um, a, a appearing tough and what they've done is uh, uh, given a special um, uh, uh, opportunity for the victims to say it secretly. So to all intents and purposes, it, it makes it seem as though you know, the victim can then you know, say what they want, you know, um, you know really uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, whack the, um, uh, the mentally ill offender um, and do it without the mentally ill offender being aware of it. But that misses the whole point about, about what the victim's impact statement is about. Because the, it's really intended that the that the offender should hear the pain of the victim. It's the intention oh. of that is it's, it's called restorative justice. So the the idea is that the that the offender and the and the victim talk to each other. The the victim then says, "This is what the impact the impact it was on me." And so the so the daughter says, "That's my dad. I was and you've made me frightened. I've now lost the my the leader of our family and, and expresses that pain." Right in the court, with the offender listening, and then the offender has a chance to say, "Look, I, oh, my sister, I'm, I, I, I never intended I had," and a chance for him to reconcile with her as well in the court. Now, that's the idea of a victim's impact statement. It's not a, it's not a free kick to the, to the, no. the victim to just um, to, you know, whack the offender. It's intended that there, there should be an opportunity for restorative justice. And everyone agrees with that. We 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 dealt very carefully with the victims' groups and said to them, "Now you 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 are aware of the restorative justice benefit. You, you yeah. know the statistics make it pretty clear that yeah. that the victims prefer um, to have a reconciliation. It makes them feel safer. It makes them feel as though they can they can move on from their loss as well, and they have a chance to also be heard as well. So all those things are, are an essential part of restorative justice. Which is accepted these days has been you know, like a very important part of the of the of the justice system. And oh, I see. So basically, what uh, that that really that really um, makes it very clear. So you're basically mentioning that the fact that the the mentally ill offenders they're they're, they're the ones that are mentally ill. The offenders um, have a chance to speak with the victims and 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 have a look at at forgiveness and and um, and and all and fairness. Yeah, absolutely, and 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 the criminal justice system never would uh, 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 allow a a secret victims impact statement because it it runs totally contrary to the intention of the of the the whole process. The process is one to achieve restorative justice, and it works for victims. It's not there not there um, as a free kick. It's there no. so that they should be able to reconcile themselves and have a chance to listen to each other. And, and express pain, and then afterwards, when they when the sentence has been passed, there's a chance for people to um, come back together again. Especially if it's a family, a family really should be given a chance and uh, support um, uh, to um, to uh, uh, come together and to acknowledge the pain, and and then work through with um, professional support and some uh, a, a much safer position for the future. So, so Brett, at the moment in New South Wales, that particular system. Is happening in the courts, isn't it? The restorative justice, and they want it to. Does. Yep. Yes. And yes, it does. It does. I mean, it happens. It happens regularly, as a matter of course, and and in fact, there are many um, different other processes uh, which are uh, around restorative justice. They have, you know, circle sentencing, for example, and youth conferencing um, are all a part of restorative justice. So, you know, instead of instead of uh, people uh, are, are punishing. 
pay an offender and feeling angry and then continuing to feel angry and, and never feeling as though you know, they've actually you know, uh, uh, solved their pain, uh, what this situation is where you, they have a chance to actually reconcile to the, to the, to the loss, um, to the pain, to the damage, um, and have a chance to uh, make compensation. And for, the, and for the government itself to also be part of some sort of an act of compensation to the victim. So, so uh, uh, for example, uh, 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 there's a, a, a victim's uh, uh, a payment that's made uh, here in New South Wales. It used to be $50,000 um, per person. And the government then decided they'd cut their costs and reduce it to $15,000 and $50,000. So that really is a, a very clear expression about how you know, little interest the government has really when it comes to victims and how, how happy they are. Um, to play tough on, on crime and even at the cost of the victim of victim himself. It's appalling. And so so basically the government wants to actually introduce legislation. So what would the bill look like then? Say it's say it was passed. How hypothetically, how would that affect um, well, in summary, how would that affect mental health offenders? Okay, well it means in the future that the that the um, mental health um, uh, uh, the offender um, will never hear what's being said, never hear what's being said in court about them. They'll be sentenced right, based upon uh, the secret material. So the material will never have uh, uh, the chance of being properly examined. The material so would a, be secret? A secret, that's right. So they'll have, have um, material that affects their future, that affects their, um, uh, uh, their sentence, um, that will be then unexamined, and then... And then for continuing hearings in front of the Mental Health Review Tribunal, which decides whether or not the person is to be released or whether to be out of it, classified, that secret material will be used again and again against against the offender. Uh, and and the offender will never know what the reason was, right, for people before um, him or her being refused a, a, a change of a change of classification or or um, or release. And they could uh, could very easily believe that um, another member of the family was the one who. who who prepared the material? Somebody also said something. But so, isn't that patronising? That's that's a form of bullying disabled people, isn't it? Absolutely. Well, you know, it's, it's, it's so disempowering. It means that someone who's really unsure of of, of themselves, who, who uh, have unsure about reality, unsure about uh, what they've done, um, for them to once again not even know what's being said about them is a uh, is a real um, a lack of grounding for them. It's a, a total mischief. In, in the mental health system, and and we've um, we've had the victims, them, victims organisations themselves beside us, saying that it's wrong. But the government, um, having made the step, is un, is unprepared to step back. So that's the reality of it. It's going through as as um, as law, and that's um, that's uh, an outrage. It is an outrage indeed. And just as a, a form of comparison, if you like, um, in terms of people that have been convicted that are not not in the mental health system. I don't think the material's secret there. No, it's not exactly. Well, in what? fact, it, it must be out front. There's no. Um, but that, uh, the, there's a, so there's no normal trial here then. Well, they have to prove things to to a to a certain. Um, I think it's a, a balance of probabilities. Is required oh, for wow. a Mental health um, uh, hearing. So they have to prove to 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 that level. It's not a criminal um, criminal um, uh, degree of proof. It's, it's to say that there's a basis of saying that uh, there is um, a someone who's responsible for the charge right. they would have been um, uh, likely, um, uh, probably to be found guilty, um, but not guilty beyond, beyond reasonable doubt. So that issue of having a jury and and, and um, having a hard decision is avoided. And right. um, so, you know, a mentally ill person is in a, in a really difficult situation, um, and so this just adds to the the extra pressure on them. It's, it's a very unfair. It is. It's uh, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's really taking advantage once again. And those crimes would obviously be things like murder as well as theft and all of those things. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. and quite often in the family, which is even worse. So, so it's the, you know, it's the family member who's who suffered, and then and then to have. Uh, you know, the, the intimacy of the family and a, and a family afterwards, a crucible of the general community. So um, a lot of things happen inside the family, which you know, is never discussed with others. It's a matter of, um, it's, it's a, you know, it's an intimate relationship to be a family member. And some, and for those things to be um, then exposed or not exposed, to be um, a suspicion that something may have been said about something which we, which has not been discussed anywhere outside of the family, uh, all those things are just very, very dangerous, destructive to the family itself. And certainly don't don't serve um, uh, the mental health system or the criminal justice system well at all. 
I hope that the bill is not passed. Where can listeners go and have a look at that? Yes, well, they can. It's actually up on our website, so you find the analysis is there. There's a very significant paper. We've heard about it as well. So all that material is there, and some, and it's it definitely it's a it's a touchstone to how badly how um, uh, how much discrimination is against mentally ill offenders. Absolutely, and just finally, I wanted for, um, for for the benefit of listeners to read out one more quote from the media release, and uh, it was put out by Justice Action, wasn't it, Brett? Yes, and that's right. And I've got here the idea that mentally ill offenders have less rights than those who consciously offended is a misunderstanding of the basic principles of discrimination law and fairness. It relegates such offenders to having less standing in a court and infringes on a basic procedural right of our legal system. And this is basically what we've been talking about, isn't it, Brett? Absolutely. No, it's, look, it's, a, it's, a, it's uh, very unfair. It just shows that the law and order, uh, the thrust by governments, is that it continues. And, uh, and so, you know, there's, it needs to be continuously confronted. And here's an example where, where uh, uh, even the, the most vulnerable um, uh, um, have been discriminated against. It's, it's so wrong, and we intend to have a, a standing position on this, and, uh, and we'll continue to, um, to, to rally against it. But so where do they do these, these things? In which court? It wouldn't be well, the magistrates. Um, no, it happens at all levels actually. So, so once they once they are charged with an offence, then it's, whether it's a magistrate's court or whether it goes to the Supreme Court, um, it, it'd be, uh, oh, it the victims' is. impact statement applies. And so, and then after it's before the tribunal, where they have subsequent hearings of deciding what is the placement of the um, of the patient, what is what happens to the patient. They're all things that happen um, uh, with the secret victims' impact statement um, present and 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 offered to the tribunal. So, you know, the, the totally disempowering for the person who's um, who's mentally ill and um, and uh, very unfair, but procedurally wrong. I'd like to have you back next year, um, Brett, to talk about this in more detail and to actually discuss in more detail the process of what happens with um, mental health offenders. It's, I don't think that enough attention is given um, in the media for this and Absolutely. perhaps we no, can also no. revisit that bill. Yes, no, there's a look. We're very, very pleased to do that, Marissa. And, um, and so, you know, thank you so much also for access to your program. It's been excellent. We've enjoyed the year with you. It's been a big year, um, but next year's going to be bigger too. Absolutely. Brett, thank you so much. Thank you, Marissa. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Okay, bye. Bye. And that was Brett Collins from Justice Action speaking about a horrific, possible horrific bill that may be passed through the New South Wales Parliament um, to further to further discriminate against mental health offenders, and this legislation um, is 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 really trying to get rid of restorative justice. It's approximately four fifty-two, and we may we just may have time for a short song. We do need to have some music. Um, it's been very intensive type of material today. Um, and so I'm hoping that I can actually play Tracy Chapman now. Um, and we'll, I'll do that in just in just a sec. Let's see where it lands.